All right, so you're going to be hearing a lot of my voice. Um, we're still going through the series of the story of Jesus, and we're going to be doing this all the way up through Advent, which surprisingly is actually right around the corner. Um, uh, but if, let's read the text first. So if you have your Bible on you, you can open up to Mark 8. Otherwise, you can read along with us on the screen. We're going to be reading um, a, a, quite a, a little bit of a chunk. Uh, Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 8, verse 27 through 38. So we'll start at Mark 8, 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I'm actually going to invite a few members of the praise teams to come back up. Um, And while they set up, I'm just going to be asking you guys a quick question. Who knows what this is? What is it? Soundboard, right? Some of you don't know. That's a soundboard, and that's actually the exact thing that's right there that our brother Jason is, is, is twiddling on. Um, when a sound engineer or a sound guy, as um, some of our brothers here uh, do, uh, if you look at all these, like, you know, the kind of wave things, those are called faders, and each line is responsible for a cer- certain channel that's attached to a certain instrument. And it's pretty challenging, but the sound engineer's job is to pretty much take a bunch of individuals and put them together in order to make a harmonious sound. So when a sound guy does a job really well, every, the song is heard by the listener in the right way, where each instrument complements the other, where the lo- levels and the volume and the, and, the, and the equalizer are done well so that you bring out the best tones and the best frequencies of every instrument. And only when that occurs are we able, again, to hear the complete sound exactly the way that we're supposed to, right? Um, I want to show you guys an example of what happens when the sound guy is really bad and when there is chaos and it's not balanced and when there is no harmony. So our friends up here, what I want you to do is watch every individual and listen, be like, what's going on with with Shay or with Manny? Like, and, and kind of look around as they do this and, and just take a mental note, like, oh, that tone is bad, or that tone is good, you know, or she is too loud or quiet. And think about what it takes to make a good song and how they are not that, okay? So here we go. 
Um, so tell me, what, what, what's going on with these individuals? What about Caleb on the keys? Too loud, right? Really, really loud. What about Manny on the electric guitar? You, could, you couldn't hear him at all, right? Like, he was completely off. Um, June's acoustic guitar was kind of loud at one point and then went away. Both of the ladies were really, really loud, and then Shay kind of disappeared, and then Naomi was loud, and Shaylin was too quiet. And so what happened is that Jason was messing them up, putting people too loud, muting some people completely. Manny's amp actually wasn't even on. He was just doing this. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Now, let's imagine that God were a soundboard, and every single one of the channels had to do with one of his characteristics or attributes taught to us by Scripture. So the whole Bible from cover to cover tells us who is God, right? It's our manual. Who is God? Who is Yahweh? And each channel is a different attribute of God. So one channel is he is the giver of grace and mercy. Another is he is judge. Um, Scripture refers to God multiple times as our helper in a time of need. Um, What else is there? He is uh, the loving God. He is the personal intimate God who is like a brother and even a friend, a friend of sinners, And there's all these different attributes. And what I want to say is that sometimes, and you can kind of tell by the way you pray, if you think about how you pray typically, is we like to kind of mess around with the faders. Some of us, like, all we think about is how God is gracious. And so our prayers are always, God, forgive me for this, and you are so good. And so we're like, whoop, and like blasting up the faders. And then God as judge, righteous, who has righteous anger and hatred towards sins. We're like, whoop, and we're putting all the way down. And we have these different ways of understanding him differently. And this isn't all entirely bad um, because we're built and and wired differently, right? But what I do think is um, something that we need to be careful about is completely disregarding some of the faders because we've blasted in the volume too much. We're hearing way too much keyboard and there's no guitar, but the guitar ought to be there in perfect balance. Last week we talked about God, uh, or the kingdom of God, right? And if, we're, if Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, what happens is that he's the king. So today I want to talk about Jesus' kingship, what it means for him to be the king, and for us not to ignore that part of the soundboard, if you will. That Jesus is in fact king. Yes, he is friend. Yes, he is giver of grace. Yes, he is just. Yes, he is the lover of those who are in need, the compassionate one who fights for the widow. But today I want to particularly focus and not let us ignore the volume on Jesus the King. So let's look at this first part. And Jesus went on with his disciples, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they respond. So the disciples are talking on behalf of the people, John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the prophets. So if you notice there in the red, All three of those categories are all prophets, right? It's not just one of the prophets, but it's John the Baptist was a prophet, Elijah was a prophet, and now they also say one of the prophets. And what seems to be happening in the time, we need to make sure that we're kind of following along chronologically, that at this point, people don't really know who Jesus is. He's he's this guy who's come, and John the Baptist talked about him, and he, he seems to be, like, powerful because at this point in Mark's gospel, he has... Um, done a few miracles, but it seems like everyone just understands him at this point in history that Jesus is just a prophet, and maybe he's a little bit more special. But then Jesus asked Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. 
in Mark's version, this one, it just moves from here, and then Jesus starts teaching. If you are taking notes, you can write down Matthew 16 and look it up later. It's, the, it's Matthew's parallel of the passage. After Peter says, you are the Christ, Jesus starts like, kind of like really like encouraging and praising Peter. He says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not rele- revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he starts going on and on. Because Peter has confessed Jesus as the Christ. For us, as the reader in, in, in 2014, we're like, obviously, like, why is this passage even in the Bible? Like, Jesus is the Messiah. The, you know, the angel came down and said, Mary, you're, you're a virgin, but you're going to be pregnant. But think about these people. They're not, they don't hear like a narrator like the whole time in Jesus' life. And at this point, it's very pivotal because it's the first time that Jesus is referred to as Christ. Until now, he's only been addressed as teacher. He's addressed himself a couple times as son of man. And one lady, one widow or Gentile woman refers to him as Lord. But nobody has called him Christ. Christos is the word that we get, the Greek word that we get the English word Christ from, which is, Christos is the translation of Messiah, Messiah in the Hebrew, which in the Hebrew understanding is the Davidic long-awaited king. So when we say Messiah or when we say uh, Christ, it's all pointing back to the bottom. That's our way of saying that you are the long-awaited king of Israel, the redeemer of, your, of, of, of our nation, of the people, the one that we have been waiting for, the one that the prophets have been speaking of. So Jesus is king. Peter identifies him that way. So after he does, Jesus starts teaching. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must, be, must suffer and be rejected by elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and re- began to rebuke him. So I want you to think about this. Let's say that you've been waiting for a, a powerful leader for all your life, and your, even your ancestors have been telling you about how, as a people, we need to wait for this person to come. And you think he shows up, and he's like, he, he asks you, who do you think I am? And you're like, oh, you're the Messiah. You're the king that we've been waiting for. And he's like, yeah, I am. But here's the plan, all right, guys? Like, come on, gather around. We're going we're gonna to build lots of momentum. I'm going to do miracles here and there. We're going to gain a big following, and then we're all going to die. We're going to die. Like, I'm going to die first, and then you guys are going to die, right? Like, kings don't die. I mean, some they do, but they don't plan to die. It's not in their, like... Um, I don't know, their bucket list to get overthrown and to lose. So Jesus is, 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 is talking about this. He's going to get killed by the authorities, by uh, the, the scribes and the chief priests. And so Peter, of course, is like, what on earth are you talking about? So he has that emotional response to, to rebuke his own rabbi. He rebukes him. Because Jesus is talking crazy talk about how he's going to die. And how does Jesus respond? He rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It seems like Jesus' response is really harsh to call him Satan. But the reason why he does is because of that, that verse. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus as king. If we think of Jesus as king, his kingship is so integrally and, and foundationally tied to his suffering and dying, that any uh, opposition to that road is satanic. Any opposition to Jesus being the slain lamb 
is satanic. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. See, Peter rightly identified Jesus as who he was. You're the Messiah. You're the king of Israel. But what he didn't fully understand is his king, what his kingship would mean. While most kings expand their kingdom through, you know, military conquest, through uh, shedding the blood of, of enemies, of conquering nations, Jesus would establish his kingdom and seal his victory by laying down his own life. Jesus' kingship meant not the shedding of the blood of his enemies, but the pouring out of his own. Jesus' kingship meant sacrifice. So Jesus' kingship means the shedding and the laying down of his own blood and life. And then he begins to teach us. So this is a really great progression. So we find out that Jesus is king, and this is what Mark is writing for for us to understand, that Jesus is king, we need to understand and establish that. But his kingship meant something so different than redeeming Israel and, and pushing out the pagan nations. It meant dying, about sacrifice in order to establish, in order to win. And then he starts to teach us about what our role is in this story. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus calls the church to take up their cross, to follow him, that we need to be prepared to follow in his footsteps, that we join him in his joys, but also in his suffering. I want you guys to take a moment and let's picture that you've come to the end of your life, right? So you've died and you, it's time for judgment. So I don't know exactly how it's going to go. I know all the cartoons and the movies just depict the people in a line and they, you know, take a step forward, whatever. However judgment day is going to happen when you stand before the throne of God, let's just picture what's going to happen. And you need to present God with, um, you're before the throne and you need to present him with what made up your life. And I want to kind of use an illustration, well, mind the pun, an illustration of, of, um, of that being a picture or a painting. Okay, so your life will be depicted in images. So you stand before God, and basically, on your, I put a cross here as a canvas, because if you're a Christian, let's just assume that the cross is your canvas, okay? And you need to, like, over the course of your life, different images and different things are, are put on, And then at the end, when you die, you will present your life like kind of in a package before God. Okay? So generally, I I would assume that all of you would agree with me that, so I'm just going to start adding things, that family is typically one of the things that takes up your most attention, um, most of your heart, most of your energy, your efforts, which is obviously a good thing. Um, So instead of drawing, uh, like, people, I'm just going to draw a tree as as a family tree, Okay? So it starts with your family. And many of us, we want to raise uh, or, get, or get married, right? So diamond ring, a little bit of bling. And a heart because you want to fall in love, right? Uh, that usually leads to making, getting, or making, actually, yeah, making a baby. <laughs> it looks like a maraca, but that's a rattle. 
and a bottle, a, 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 a rattle and a bottle, right? Okay, so these are your family. You want to get married. Like, relationship is really important. For a lot of us here, we're students. So getting your diploma is something, well, a very large percentage of you, that's all you can really think about at this point, right? So you need to get your diploma. You're going to wear your cap and gown at one point. Uh, you really want to get an A. These are your grades. We graduate, and typically when we want to get a job, so I'm going to draw None of us are carpenters here, but let's say that a hammer is an illustration for job and work and career, because I don't know how to draw a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Um, we get a job in order that we can live in a home, right? So we, we, we want to buy a home or at least get a nice place where we can settle down and um, raise a family. Uh, you know, you get the nice, like, picket, white picket fence if, you, if you're lucky enough, and you know, some of us will go out and buy a car. Right? What else is there? Oh, the big one. How could I forget? All of this, a lot of times, is for paper stacks, right? For Benjis. Because we want to make money. Not the dog. I'm talking about the green stuff. Money. And at the end of our life, what we'll have spent most of our time on is creating this portrait of all these things, right? We've spent a lot of hours, nearly the bulk of it, either doing this or looking for this um, in order to get this. And the relational component, you know, I didn't put friends here, but let's just say friends are part of the family tree. And so at the end of time, when you come before the king and in your time of judgment, you, you bring this before God. And the question that I want to ask, I drew another picture over here that I'm going to turn around. Um, here, let me do that first, and I, hopefully the people in the back can see it. The question that I want to ask the church today is whether all of these things cover up the canvas and the cross or lie within it. When you come before the king in judgment, and you remember these words and you hear them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let's picture that you come and you've ended your life. And when you think back, these are all the things that you've experienced or gained or put attention to or your heart had kind of latched onto and and, and, and even beaded for. And you think, and you remember these words of Jesus saying that if you follow him, you've got to take up your cross. And so my question is whether all these things cover it or lie within it. And by lie within it, I'm not talking about like, like oh, we need to sacrifice. Like, if you have a house, like, burn it down. Like, we're going to give it to Jesus. Like, nail it on there and your baby, right? Like, <laughs> that's not what I mean. What I mean by lie within the cross, in that image, what I mean by that is, First of all, nothing comes before, nothing can cover our devotion to Christ. Even your children, your marriage. And even more practically, what I mean by lying within the cross, are do these things, do working for and putting energy in these things, are they for themselves or are they a result of your obedience and desire to follow God? Because it's radically different, Right? You can work hard with a hammer for money, or you can work hard with a hammer and get money because you're following Christ, because you took up your cross. 
Because you've let go and because you don't want anything to do with the world, but you want nothing but Christ, your marriage can be completely, it could cover it up. I'm telling you from my own experience, you can just adore your spouse and want nothing for you but your spouse, or you could hate your spouse. It's the complete opposite. Or your marriage could be within it and actually bring glory to the Father who ordains marriage, who actually shows marriage in the Bible beginning till end. Many of us are students, and we're just trying to get that A, trying to get this piece of paper to stick up on our wall after four years. Do you study hard, and does that get in the way, or do you actually glorify God through your being a student? I, I think that this text, it does nothing. Like, it, it forces me to think about when I'm going to die. Did I take up my cross? Did I deny myself? Did I want to gain the world so much that I actually lost my soul? And what I want to make crystal clear, and there's both images and they're the same, none of these things are bad. In fact, these things are given to us as a gift. But when they become the idol, that's where they go off course. And I think our Christian life journey is to aim to get to that until when we die. That all those things, and even the things that aren't on there, are driven out of a result of our following Jesus, not for itself. We lose our lives to gain true life. It's a Christian paradox that the world will never understand. We actually lose and let go in order to gain. What good is it to gain the world if it means forfeiting our souls? Jesus, he figuratively had a painting too and it's not like yeah like he had stuff that was nailed there and then he literally himself was on the cross right he traded in uh his place in heaven the the glory or amongst the angels his throne and crown and he traded it in for flesh human flesh for a manger poverty shame punishment crucifixion and i think it's awesome how the king, like he's the king and he's the sacrificial king. So he doesn't just, he talks about himself first in this passage, right? He says, the son of man is going to lay down his life and lose and die. And then he calls us to follow. It's not just a demand, it's a leading by example. Because he shows us that following him and following the father is sacrifice and letting go in order to gain true life. And not only does he say it, but he shows us by example, and he empowers us along the way. I want to ask this question in closing. What is, it need, what is it that you need to let go of in order to truly take up your cross and follow him? Think about what that is. I have a list of probably like 10 to 20 things. But this morning, let's just think of one. What is something that gets in the way of you truly taking up your cross and following him? And again, I don't want us to just crucify them because it could be a really good thing that just was off, off, like misaligned. How do we get it within the bounds of the cross? So we're actually going to spend some time praying. Um, And so I just want to ask all of you to bow your heads and then we're going to go into communion. Just think about that. What is it that gets in the way of you taking up your cross and following Christ wholeheartedly. And I want you to pray this prayer that, not like, God, like, destroy it. It's 
Like, I, all I care is about my grades. It's not bad to care about your grades, but it is if that becomes, like, your everything. If that, if that changes, um, if that takes up all of your time and energy, that, you, that you're doing it for yourself in the long run in order to succeed or please your parents. Or... Let's just ask God to make our hearts right so that all of these things in our life painting would bring him glory and not ourselves. That all of our efforts would be as a result of our following him, not as a result of just wanting to become successful at it. So take a moment. Think of what that is. And let's just spend a minute or two just offer it before the Lord. Even if you have trouble praying and you have nothing to say, just think about it. And even just imagine just laying it at the foot of the cross or at his throne, at his feet. And say, take it, God, and use it for your glory. Even if it's just that one line and you have difficulty praying. Is it your schoolwork? Is it your relationships and friends? Boyfriend, girlfriend, your kids, your car, or your hope for a bank account? Just picture it and just lay it there. Heavenly Father, would you soften our hearts and give us clarity and understanding that we would see all things that keep us from you. Even good things that you give us, Lord, sometimes our hearts are not right with you and they turn into idols that come before you. But all together as a church, we bring those things before you and say, oh Lord, won't you redeem it in order that it would bring you praise All of these things that we thought of at this moment, we bring you praise with them, God. For the students, for those seeking after money, for whatever, for relationships, for marriage, for dating, for friendships, for pride and and a resume, whatever. You know what it is that we break our backs for. And we pray that we would do it all to be faithful to you not just to get those things themselves. So Father, we pause to remember you, to remember the example that you set as we partake. So be with us at this time and continue to minister to us as we long to just follow you closely today. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.